Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Hey team, how's everybody doing today? I'm doing good. Hanging in there. Doing well. Well, that's really good to hear you guys. And thank you so much for joining me on such short notice. We're doing this bonus episode today in response to the incredible amount of interest that we've gotten pertaining to this case and the overwhelming amount of information that we've received. I do want to say before we share that information that this is not hearsay. This is information that is coming from people who were close to Karen and who are legitimately afraid to talk. So this information is very delicate and I just want to stress that before anything else is said. Yeah, and you know, because of hearsay is sort of a term of art, it doesn't whether, you know, it, it, it may be an out of court statement, it's not being used in court, but I guess what we're really trying to say is the information that's about to be related to you, we believe to be highly reliable. Yes. And the people that are relating it to us are people that have personal knowledge of the events right. and are not reacting on something they've merely, it's not innuendo or rumor, but something that they have personally witnessed and about which they have personal knowledge. Exactly. Okay, so I'll start with a brief synopsis of the case for anybody who isn't familiar with this case or that didn't get a chance to listen to episode one. Karen was a 44-year-old mother of four. She was married, and her and her husband had gotten divorced and then reconciled and gotten married again, and then they were going through their second divorce, which she had filed on October 11th of 2011 which happened to be just a couple of weeks before she was murdered. On October 29th, 2011, which was a Saturday, Karen attended a Halloween party with some friends. And around 1 o'clock, she receives a call that her daughter was sick and she needed to pick her up from another Halloween party, which I believe was at a friend's house. So Karen left the Halloween party and went to pick up her daughter. And she returned home where she resided with her children and her husband sometime between 1.30 and 1.45. She laid down with her daughter, and we don't know what time that she got up or what time that she left, but when her daughter woke up the next morning, Karen was not there. But a neighbor had seen her vehicle on the side of the road not far from home with a flat tire. So they found the car that day. It had a cooler of beer with a few missing, as well as Karen's Halloween costume inside it. So we know that she was not wearing the costume. And in addition to that, they realized that The source of the flat tire was actually a screw that she hadn't run over, but that had been screwed into the tire with a screwdriver. Karen's body was found on December 11, 2011, and her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. The injuries were on her frontal lobe and her temporal lobe, on the right side, and she had a remote fractured rib on her left side. So as of today, her killer or killers are still at large, and our investigative team is working diligently to get to the bottom of it. And so we're going to share with you what we have uncovered up to this point. Some of that information is not going to be taken well. And it is not going to look good on Karen, and I am deeply sorry for that, but the truth does need to come out so that 
we can be sure that we've got the right guy and that Karen has received real justice. Fletcher, do you have anything to add before we continue? So you have an unfaithful wife and a husband who is suspicious and jealous but maybe doesn't know anything. Their marriage is estranged. She goes to uh, the country club, I think it was, one night for some sort of a Halloween party. She's dressed in a Catwoman outfit and gets in an, a verbal, uh, aggressive, acrimonious conversation with a woman who believes that, that Karen is sleeping with her husband. And just for the record, that is technically a rumor at this time. It is something that we are looking into, but at this point it has not been confirmed. Yeah, we're just giving you the status of what we believe to be. Uh, the, the, so Karen Swift, long and short of it, has disappeared. And no one has, uh, they have found some remains that, uh, that they have tied back to her. They know that she's dead. They don't know how she came to be dead. And the suspicion is that there was foul play involved. Uh, so I, I think that is a fair synopsis and catches us up to where we left off. Right. So in the last week, we have received a lot of information. Some of it was relevant. Some of it wasn't. But somebody very close to Karen, who Karen confided in and spoke with regularly, did come forward and say that Karen had confided in her about two weeks before she disappeared, before she was murdered, and told her that she had gotten herself involved in something that she was not proud of, and she felt like a bad person. Let's just lay it out there. She was hooking. Fletcher, I hate to say it, but it does seem that way. And the information that we're receiving from multiple sources seems to be corroborating that scenario. We know that Karen had more than one phone. And she had at least one burner phone or a prepaid phone that she was using to make calls that obviously she didn't want her husband to know about or anybody to know about for that matter. And the person or persons who had provided that phone to her were also financing her divorce and had also been known to pick Karen up in the middle of the night when she would sneak out. We know from one source that they were taking risky pictures of her. And most importantly, we know that that is who she was at the Halloween party with the night that she was killed. And the belief is that this individual that got her the burner phone was pimping her out. That is the way it, that it looks, yes. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm one of those, hey, let's just, let's just <laughs> say let's do it. away with the niceties and let's just throw it out there. Right. And uh, so the thing that she was doing about which she felt guilty was that she was hooking for money to raise the money to leave her husband with her kids and getting pimped out by this fella who appears to have some degree of prominence in the town where they were living. So that's what was going on. Yes, Fletcher. And I've spoken with quite a few people who seem to have knowledge of Karen also being involved with this couple sexually. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The swingers were the couple with whom she was at the, the club that night. Yes. The man uh, of, of that coupling was pimping her out. Maybe the woman was pimping her out too. But that was the swinging, the open marriage. And that's why last time I thought it was Karen and her husband. Apparently it was not. There's no such thing as a one-way swing, right? You can't have an open marriage, but only one of the participants in the marriage realizes it's open. Right. <laughs> it's gotta have, they both have to know that it's an open marriage for it to be a true open marriage. Right. So there was swinging involved, which is probably where I got off uh, kilter. There was swinging involved, but I didn't catch that it was the couple with whom she had attended the party seven years ago. The, before she disappeared, yes. maybe the night of her disappearance, they were the swingers. Mm -hmm. She was being tricked out. That is how it appears uh, when you connect all the dots that he had bought her this burner phone, that she was using this burner phone. And unfortunately, I do not believe that the police are in possession of this burner phone. 
And it is my belief that whoever killed Karen, when they killed Karen, knew that she had that phone and took it with them. And let me say this too. If you ever want to make the government very, very suspicious you're engaged in criminal activity or something nefarious, get a burner phone. <laughs> now, I've uh, had a burner phone. The only reason people have a... <laughs> The only reason people have a burner phone that are not private investigators and trying to use the sleuth, mm -hmm. the sleuthness of their job description in order to, but the only reason other, the only reason normal people, and there's nothing normal about Heather, the only reason normal people Thanks, would man. have a burner phone, they're having an affair, they're drug dealers, they're hookers, they're up to something nefarious, or, you know, like for instance, I don't have a burner phone. Or that's my position anyway. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? I've never had a I've never had a burner phone. You know, I doubt very seriously that Tracy has a burner phone. But Heather, we now know there's something up with you. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, when I travel in certain areas, I um, and for certain reasons, I do use a a burner phone so that I can call out but not be traced. Yeah. Well, nowadays you can download an app and you have burner lines. So, and you can burn those lines as soon as you use them. Well, I may go out today and get a burner phone because apparently I'm way behind the time. No, 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 there no. Was, just there was just time, download the app. <laughs> there, there was a time when the, even the, the procuring of a burner phone was something that, that made law enforcement agencies suspicious about your activities. Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a reason that you have to hide the phone calls or, you know, hide your identity. I mean, there's got to be a reason. And, you know, now they've got Kick and they've got, you know, all these different third-party apps that you can communicate through that they cannot be traced. And I have worked murder cases that, um, you know, we just can't figure out who the victim was talking to beforehand because they were using these third-party apps. Yeah. And, uh it's really frustrating. But back back to Karen and back to, um, you know, everything that we have discovered in the last few days. Um, among those things, we've, we've discovered that um, the origin of her flat tire was that somebody had literally taken a screw and screwed it into the tire with a screwdriver. Uh, rather than just running over it, because if you run over it, it's just going to go straight in. This was actually screwed in, which would cause a slow leak. And my question is, I, I think that I've got in my mind, by connecting all the dots, I've come up with a pretty good idea of the events of that night. And uh, and I'll just I'll just share that. You know, um, and, and Heather, before you get to that, I just want to say real quickly so the listener knows, Karen Swift is dead, and yes, for seven years, law enforcement has been attempting to ascertain who is responsible for that death because they do not believe that it was an accidental death. Now, go ahead. It definitely was not an accidental. Karen's skull was bashed in, and. Um, Whoever, the autopsy report. Right. Whoever whoever killed Karen was very upset about something. Her manner of death was um, homicide. Right. Blunt force trauma to the head. And, and I think, Tracy, in the last show, you discussed the fact that the manner of the killing with the blunt instrument, and we discussed as to whether or not uh, it, it, it was put in the report in such a manner as to lead the reader to believe that someone struck her over the head with the blunt instrument as opposed to her being hit by a car or something. Right. The cause of death was blunt force trauma and the manner of death was homicide. Right. So we're, we're up to speed. Heather, take it. Well, and before I do, I want to clear some things up real quick. That made me think of, um, you know, some things that we had said in the previous episode that weren't exactly uh, on point. And one of those things was that, um, that whoever left her there didn't didn't bother to cover her body. Um, she was actually fully covered with brush and weeds. And the only reason that she was exposed at the point that they found her was because, you know, I guess the time of year or whatnot, the, the brush and the leaves were starting to uh, dissipate, were starting to um, 
scatter. Right, right, right. So, uh, but we were we were not exactly on point with that observation from the autopsy. Um, but so this is this is what you know by connecting the dots and as an investigator, this is what I've pieced together in my mind. And I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. Um, at this point, we still have more people to talk to and more, um, more to investigate, but, but you have a theory. You I do. Theory. I do have theory. a theory that seems yeah. to fit with, you know, when you take all the bits and pieces that people are giving us and piece them together, it, it just, it corroborates, you know, it's, it, it actually fits together quite nicely. And that is that, um, you know, Karen was involved with this group of swingers and, you know, I'm not saying they're all guilty in some way, you know, swinging is by no means against the law. Um, you know, there's, you know, it's just a lifestyle. It's just a group of people. That's fine. I'm not judgmental. I don't, I don't care. Uh, but so she was involved with these people and the, the couple that she was, um, involved with, uh, intimately, the male had purchased this burner phone for her and she had told uh, some people close to her that she was creeped out by him. And I don't know if it's actually how her relationship with them started, but I do know that she was cleaning their house for a while. And that's apparently that's what she did to make money here and there because at the time she past she was um, technically unemployed and and so she was cleaning their house and she had told a friend that she had uh, been avoiding cleaning that house when he was home because he creeped her out so bad and I don't know at what point that she became intimately involved with them but there's also a story where she was laying on the couch. They had all been in the hot tub and apparently they were all naked in the hot tub. And she got out of the hot tub and went into the house and laid down on the couch. And when she opened her eyes, he was leaning over her. And uh, I don't know whether he was getting ready to put his mouth on her or if his mouth was already on her, but that's what she had told a close friend. Lastly, I've also been told that uh, there is somebody who had actually seen Karen in bed with the female. So I don't know if the male was actually in the bed as well, or if it was just Karen and the female, but this is further evidence that she was involved with the couple. There's that. You know, there's the element of her relationship with this couple. There's the fact that the male was paying for her divorce. There's the fact that the male had bought her this burner phone. And then there are also reports that this couple had taken some really risky pictures of Karen. I don't know what they were doing with them. Uh, one could presume that they were sending pictures of her to potential customers. But Karen had confided in a friend of hers that she had let these people take pictures of her. And she told her friend, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Don't judge her. She's just having a good time. And that there were other girls there who were also getting their pictures taken. And they're also pretty good blackmail fodder. Um, uh if you think about it, to threaten the uh, publishing of these pictures would be somewhat of an inducement to get someone to do things. Right. And we also know that Karen was seen on more than one occasion leaving the house at all hours of the night. And we also know that many times, if not all the times she was actually being picked up by the female of this couple. The night of the party, the Halloween party that she went to, we know that she was there with this couple 
And we know that she had told someone that she did not feel comfortable that night and that she was not having a good time, that she felt like a third wheel and she didn't want to be there. Let me ask you a question, Heather. And and this, I'm not, it, it may end up, uh, shorten the account a little bit, but I'm not trying to do that. But here's my question. Is there any chance that any part of your theory involves that this this couple uh, with whom she started out swinging and then started tricking her out were are politically, socially, uh, economically advantaged? They're powerful people, have a big reputation in the area where all of these people live. Is it is it possible that they would have killed her to keep her from going public with with these events? What would it have done to these people's reputation, standing within the community, prestige, even maybe source? You know, the biggest reason for murder, I, Tracy, you may weigh in on this. The biggest reason for a, uh, to murder someone is if they're going to cost you a considerable amount of money. We'll kill people over money before we'll kill people over almost anything else. I just was thinking um, last night, of course, it's all whirling around in our heads. What is the purpose? What is the reason for killing her? Um, just that that's my question. That's my question. And that's kind of where I was going with it. I don't necessarily think that they killed her. But I think they know who did. You got to get into motive somewhere. I mean, there's got to be a motive, like Tracy's saying or, or hinting here. Who would have had a motive other than these people or someone they put up to do it? I think it still points to a jealous wife. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Tracy. Wife. What do you think? You, mm. Do you think a jealous wife would kill her husband's lover, tryst, or trick, or whatever you want to call her, with a blunt instrument? It depends on what was nearby, and um, it depends on how mad she gets. I, I know I haven't killed my husband, but I know <laughs> <laughs> there's been moments that I'm glad I didn't have a tire iron. No, but not, um, not yet, Steve. Uh, watch out. <laughs> I believe if he ever came home and said, "Tracy, you know, I'm really not cheating on you, but I've decided to become a swinger." And no, and <laughs> you might kill him then. There's always the no, 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 not me. But I have been angry over things. Yeah, like everybody has. Now, have I ever been murderously angry? No, but I'm not that type of person. And there's many people out there that could get just really angry. Now, God, I just think that I don't know. Somebody would have heard somebody that mad. I. I don't know if it was a jealous husband or a jealous wife. Don't know. Well, I, I, I tell you this, and this is just sharing something from my past. I, I, uh, represented back when I was a criminal defense attorney, people who were uh, believed to be involved in, in organized crime. Um, and some of these people had an inordinate amount of vowels in their name. And I remember one time that I was, uh, having a very bad, disagreement uh, with somebody that was exerting a great deal of improper influence and power and subjecting someone I loved very much to something that was inappropriate. Now, I'm not going to get any more detail than that, but I remember that one of my clients said, I just don't understand why you don't just take a Smith and Wesson and just, you know, end it. And, or, or, you know, he needs to go talk to your friends, Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson. And I looked at this guy at the time that he suggested this, and I said, well, the reason why I'm not going to do that is because, you know, I'm not a killer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not going to do that because I know conscious, I, I'm not going to take another person's life. Maybe I could if I were armed and they were threatening my life or the life of one of my loved ones, maybe I could. But I don't, I don't know for a fact I could even do it then. And at the end of the day, if I kill somebody, I'd have to look in the mirror and know that I had ended a human life and, and I couldn't live with the guilt. I couldn't live with that's So I'm not a good candidate to be a killer, you know, to be a murderer. I'm not, I, there's been some people in my past that I probably 
uh, have subjected me to sufficient provocation that uh, a a person other than I maybe would have killed them. But, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not a killer. And Tracy, don't you think that's an important distinction and threshold to cross when in any murder investigation is that the target of the investigation has got to be someone that is capable of taking a human life. Not everybody is. Right. And it, or so extremely jealous and angry at that time. And um, that leads me back and, of course, I still have my doubt. It could be a woman. It could be one of these people. But it could be David Swift also. Maybe he was trying to keep her because she could not have any money. He did not give her any money. And that he saw she was out making money and the way she was making money, maybe that put him over the threshold. But if I was a jurist, I still could not convict him because there are so many other possibilities. And here's the thing, you know, what it all boils down to is that burner phone, because we know damn good and well that the last calls and text messages were probably from that burner phone. And when you asked me earlier, if I thought that this couple killed her, I say no, and I don't think that they did because I think that Karen was their cash cow. And why would they kill their cash cow? It doesn't make sense. But Because she's going to go public with what's been going on and it's going to ruin them. I don't know because, you know. The, it would ruin them. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Of course it would. But, I mean, she was with them at the party that night. So, you know, why, what happened in just a couple hours that they would all of a sudden turn on her and think that she's, you know, going to go. Well, she may have said, they may have gotten in a huge argument. Let me give, let me spin a yarn that, that could be it. She may have gotten a huge argument with him and said, look, I'll, I'll go to the newspaper. Mm. You know, I don't care. What do I care? I'm a nobody, but you're not a nobody. You know, I'll go to the newspaper. I'll tell them what you do, what I've been doing for you. I'll go to the police. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any, you know, my marriage has failed, uh, you know, because of what I've been doing, I'm probably not going to get custody of the kids, even if I leave David, because David now knows and, you know, I'll go to the police. Right. Uh, and uh, that kind of, pro- that the prospect, and the more powerful you are and the richer you are, the more that you're probably willing to kill, uh, you know, to avoid uh, the prospect of, of that something like that happening. Mm-hmm. I can paint you a scenario where they could have done it and ha- and would have been sufficiently provoked. What I can't answer for you is whether they're capable of doing it. I, I don't know that. Well, I think it's safe to assume that whoever did do it knew that she had the burner phone and knew to take it. And wouldn't that limit your suspects? Wouldn't it? How many people do you think would know? I mean, she she didn't just happen across somebody. This wasn't a random act of violence, right? Because they knew she had this burner phone, and it's somebody. And, and, it, and it's doesn't that knowledge limit your suspects? It does, and and it's also it's it's going to be somebody that she communicated with on that burner phone. Yeah, otherwise, why take it? And unless your name is in that burner right. phone, now her clothes were found. Um, quite a ways away. Has that been confirmed or is that still just a rumor? It hasn't been confirmed with me. Okay. And and that's what I need. I don't need something that I I know people say, oh, that came out a while ago. Mm -hmm. But if it's come out in a media article, unless it's a quote, uh, we don't necessarily go with that. We need a confirmation of the exact Right. And see, our last episode, we were presenting different theories. And granted, those theories were coming from people who knew Karen personally, and not just any Joe Schmo on the street. They were still theories. And the purpose of our investigation was to eliminate and debunk those theories until we had the one that you know, that stayed afloat. And this is the one 
at this point that appears to be staying afloat. Everything's corroborating. It kind of reminds you of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, Sherlock Holmes. He once said that if you eliminate all of the other contingencies, whatever remains, however improbable, must must be the answer. Exactly. And so that's kind of that. That is kind of the that is kind of the uh, the Holmesian method in honor of that movie coming out here pretty soon. Uh, that Will Ferrell's <laughs> are you plug- are you plugging a movie right uh, now? I mean, I'm, I can't <laughs> wait to see it. I'm not getting. I'm not deriving any benefit from plugging it, but I can't wait right. to see it. But. I am a fan of the genre of the Sherlock Holmes and and Dr. Watson uh, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh Oh, I am too. Series. Big time. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's yeah. probably why you went into the uh, private investigation, Heather. I mean, I would think that. No, no. my. I mean, I stumbled into it. I'd never in a million years thought that I wanted to do this. It never even crossed my mind. And after the Bobo case, um, and which kind of brings me to my next thought, which I've kind of been sitting on for a minute, but the people who are talking and telling, telling us this stuff, you know, what I'm hearing a lot is that they haven't really talked about this with anyone before because they were afraid. And with, uh, one particular individual, uh, told me that, you know, there had been one detective that came to speak with them early on, but that that was the only time they had ever spoken to law enforcement. And have you, I'm sorry. Have, have I you what? Spoken, spoken to law enforcement? Yes. I've spoken with uh, TBI agents, which I don't, I don't deal with law enforcement on the local level for the same reason that these people don't want to talk because they don't know who to trust. And especially my not being from that area, you know, I don't know who's who. And, uh, and frankly, you know, whether somebody's law enforcement or not does not make them automatically trustworthy in my book. Exactly. So, um, but what I was getting ready to say is that this case is reminding me a lot of the Bobo case and the fact that there were, there are people who really have it pieced together that know the truth and had gotten, you know, information straight from Karen before she was killed. And they are afraid, just like in the Bobo case, the Bobo case, nobody knew who to trust because everybody knew everybody. And it's the same exact scenario in this case. What about the Rogers case, Crystal Rogers? It sounds even down to the flat tire. It's all so uncanny. It it's it's almost it's spooky how un- uncanny it is. So, but anyway, I don't have anything else right now. Uh, this is unfolding before our eyes just so rapidly. And like I said, the people calling in, the people emailing, and and then the names I'm getting and the people I'm talking to, just everything is unfolding before our eyes very quickly. We now know that um, uh, Karen confided in someone close to her, someone in whom she would have confided, that she was suspicious of these people with whom she had been either swinging Mm -hmm. or had been pimping her out, and that she had a bad feeling, particularly around the male, and uh, that she was, that, that Karen was scared before that event, that night, uh, where she would end up disappearing. So we know this. We know that the people that she was, with whom she had started out swinging and was now like an employee, if you will, of, of, of their illicit uh, sex industry. They owned her. Yeah, we they owned her. And, and we know that... Uh, uh, that she felt guilty about it, and we know that she was trying to run up money to leave David with the kids, and you know probably wasn't the best thought out plan, you know, to do it this way. Right. We know, you know, but we know that there may have been uh, some people that had a motive to kill her. That motive may have been anything from protecting their reputation, protecting, uh, you know, what they were doing. Let me tell you this. I, I got to throw in one more thing. Um. They can, you know, these people that were pimping her out could have been charged 
with trafficking, Mm -hmm. could have been charged with promoting prostitution. Uh, they, they could have been charged with money laundering. Uh, they could have been charged with very serious things. And I don't want y'all to dismiss necessarily the motive that would have been inculcated in these powerful, rich people that, uh, that, that even we're kind of scared of, cause we're certainly not outing them, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't want you to put it, I don't want, it could have inculcated in them a tremendous motive if she had threatened, if she had looked at them at any time that night and said, you know what, I I wonder what the authorities would think about this arrangement we have. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe she looked at this couple and said, I think I've got enough money put back. I'm out. You know, I'm leaving. And they said, you're not going any damn where. And then said, well, I don't, you know, what if, what if I go to the authorities and what I wonder if they would like to learn of this little arrangement of ours or you see what I'm saying? It could be, it could be something along that line too. An even more likely scenario in my mind is that they know who killed her, but they can't come forward because what are they going to say? That, they know who killed her because they were pimping her out and that it was the wife of the man that they were pimping her to or that they've oh, yeah. got to relate some information about themselves. If they relate anything to the, right. That they probably desperately do not want. to. They don't want to draw attention to themselves and to what they were doing, you know, whether or not they're still doing it. I don't know. You know, maybe that scared them and they decided to lay low. I don't know. But the fact is that these people were very close to Karen. They were with her the night that she was murdered. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that they know something and they're not talking about what they know. Um, They may have pointed at David and said, you know, well, he did it. But I think there's a very good chance that they know who she was meeting up with that night, if it wasn't them. Here's my question, Heather, because you work with law enforcement regularly. I I never really worked with law enforcement. I worked a hell of a lot more against law enforcement. But aren't don't you find it odd that that they're not applying pressure to these people to find out what happened to Karen? I mean, because they've got some pressure points that they can push, you know. Again, this case is so much like the Bobo case. And I think this is another aspect of that is that in the Bobo case, the lead detective on that case, Terry Dykus, had tunnel vision on a sex offender who had previously been charged with kidnapping. And that other suspect was Terry Britt. And I was one of the many, many people who were calling TBI and law enforcement saying, no, 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 no. Over here, you need to be looking at these guys. And I was told later down the road by the investigator that took over after Dykus was taken off the case for that reason, because he had had tunnel vision. I was told that Every lead that I called in, every lead that anybody called in, basically, was being thrown in the trash because if it didn't lead to Terry Britt, they weren't following it. And I think we've got the same thing here where they've got their sights set on David Swift. That's very common in law enforcement, though, Heather. Law enforcement work math problems from the solution backwards. They tend to arrive at the crime scene with the problem worked. And the only thing that they will consider is that amount of evidence that leads to the conclusion that they've already, at which they've already arrived. But what's surprising to me is that, you know, let's say that these people are named Jones, okay? The powerful people that are swinging, that have been having sex with Karen Swift, that are tricking, that are pimping her out to different people in that community, right? Let's say their name's Jones, What I, you know, it would seem to me that a detective somewhere, and this would be very police um, uh, operation 101. I mean, this is very standard police procedure. You go in there and you go, look, Mr. and Miss Jones, or, you know, you go to one, look, look, Miss Jones, here's what we know. They'd probably go to them 
individually. You know, we've talked to your husband. What they say is they say, we've talked to your husband and this is what we know. Well, they're not really lying to him because they didn't say the husband told him, right? But they've allowed her to draw an inference. At the, well, we've talked to your husband, Mrs. Jones. You're gonna, now, Heather, we're going to role play. You're going to be Miss Jones. Miss Jones, we, we, this is, my name's Detective Smith, and, and we've talked to your husband, and we know some things, and you really need to talk to us, okay? You need to help yourself. I'm going to give you an opportunity to help yourself, but we know that you and your husband swing. We know that you were pimping out Karen Swift. We know that you were deriving profit from it. And I don't know if you know this, Miss Jones, but you know, sex trafficking and uh, procuring prostitutes, uh, all of those things, are money laundering, all of those are serious. Miss Jones, you, uh, you do understand those are serious offenses, right? Miss Jones? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well... I understand, understand, we've talked to your husband, Miss Jones, okay? You, you do understand we have already talked to him, correct? So if you're going to play this ignorant game, you don't know what I'm talking about, crap, then I'm done here. I know I have a right to an attorney. I want to speak well, with my attorney. Well, if, if you want to talk to your attorney, you're, obviously you know what that's telling me. I mean, if you want an attorney, you can have an attorney, Miss Jones, but you understand what that's telling me. As a seasoned detective, if you're gonna if you're gonna lawyer up right now, then I, that that lets me know that everything that I've learned after having talked to your husband and everything that I think is probably true. And if you're gonna go down that road, you know you can do this the easy way, Miss Jones, or you can do it the hard way. Which way are you gonna elect to do this? You want to do it the hard way? You you, you want your attorney, Miss Jones? It Is was him. Want, it was him. It was my husband. I had nothing well, to do you, with it. <laughs> you see how they do this? You see how they apply pressure? I'm, man, I've listened yeah. to interrogations where these things, you know, I'm not coming up with this because I'm any kind of genius. Right. I've listened to police. I've listened to them interrogate. I've been in the room in federal proffers, you know, like what Mueller's doing with uh, Trump's people, you know, the proffer process where they we need the substantial assistance that can be rendered in a federal case. You know, I've been in the room. I know how they pull stuff out of people, and this is how they do it. Now, if they went, if a detective went to this woman that you know is out there, and her name's not Jones, and we were role-playing if you're just joining us, but Heather, don't you think that she'd have some things to say? I don't know. Not really, because she seemed to be a bigger part of it, it as big of a part of it, if not a bigger part of it. Yeah, than has she ever really been sweated by the police? Has she I don't really, I don't she, believe she has. I mean, as you know, this is someone, I mean, you know, if you want to watch some people squirm, rich white people are the funniest people in the world to watch squirm. Because they've really never, you know, they've never really had this kind of attention directed at them, right? They've never really, they've never been the subject of this. Historically, throughout the history of criminal jurisprudence, it's not they, it's they're, they're not from the sect of people who are generally, uh, uh, a portion to this type of of uh, investigative vigor, okay? And it's in always interesting to see how they're going to respond to this, and and what you know what the police officer is thinking when he goes out there is I'm going to break her down. First of all, I'm going to mislead her into believing that her husband has told us things that he hadn't told us, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay it off on him that I know A, B, C, and D, and I know it because I've talked to your husband and you know that I've talked to your husband. Well, you know, that's the same thing they do when they put you in separate rooms and they go back and forth and tell you that the person in the other room is singing their butt off and is telling, is telling it all, putting it all on you. Now, I just wanted to say for the listener that um, this is what it's like when we are actually working a case. We throw scenarios out there. So what they're hearing is us um, getting facts and piecing things together. It's not all going to be accurate. It's not going to be because we're working towards the accuracy. That's where we're headed. Um, we start out with a theory. We start out with, um, well, in an open mind, start out with a death and go forward from there. And it's, you are actually with us on this journey, working this case. And um, I just wanted to remind people of that, that we are. 
we we don't know the answer is what Tracy's trying to say. We're trying to arrive at an answer, but we don't know it. And all facts and all um, rumors, the rumors have to be eliminated. And Heather, what I was doing to you in the role play and for the listener, that's called sweating a target. Sometimes they do it to people that are in custody. You know, you want to go home today, then you need to tell me what what we already know to be true. The way they always phrase that is you need to tell me, you need to give me the truth and I know what it is. I already know it. And, and, and they don't, they don't know what it is or they wouldn't be talking to you, but you know, but, but that's what they're trying to get at is you need to tell me what I already know is true. Okay. I have solved this case and you can, I'm giving, they, they act like that they're some sort of benevolent uncle who's giving you this grand opportunity you know, you can get on, you can get on the boat or stay off the boat. You can, you can, you can pee out of the tent. You can pee out of the tent or pee in the tent, whatever you want to do. Fletcher, yes. do you find that the higher, the higher the law enforcement, uh, such as the FBI compared to the city, um, the higher the law enforcement, the more they sweat? You know, I don't, to be honest with you, Tracy. The funny mm-hmm. thing, the funny huh. thing about the the FBI, and I, I worked criminal uh, defense in the federal system too. And the funny thing about the FBI is they feel a little bit more constrained about the tactics that they employ than the state and local guys. The state and local guys will downright just about do anything. I've heard some police interrogations that in motions to suppress, the judge couldn't even listen to the tape. He would, he would get so mad. He'd be like, well, good God, <laughs> you know, you didn't, this isn't a voluntary confession at all. You know, I mean, I mean, I think that the state guys will go much further to uh, bully a, a response out of a target. And I think the state guys have much more of an end justifies the means philosophy. FBI agents, for one, have law degrees, and they they understand what the law is. They understand how they can come up to the line but can't cross over it. And my experience with FBI agents is they they're a lot less likely to cross lines or blur lines than lower level law enforcement officers. That's been my personal experience, and that'll get us realizing what these people may or may not go through when they get um, talked to by the police officers, by law enforcement. I mean, I would, I would think, I would think a detective here by use, utilizing some sweating techniques directed at these two individuals, the quote, the are fictitious Joneses could get a lot further toward the truth. If they, if they could work the case like it's a like it's a problem to which they don't already have the solution instead of working the case with a solution to which they have to work the problem to come up at the pre-arrived solution so in my opinion there are potentially five people that could have done this yes the john the john's wife the joneses and um karen's husband yes I would have to say that's your, that's your that's your suspect pool, in my mind. I can't imagine who I, you know a drifter coming through town in some random act of violence. I think you can rule that out. If you'll remember, she was found in a in a cemetery that you would have to be very familiar with the area to even find in the first place. Right. And she was killed in a manner that would denote the person killing her was enraged. And you and yeah. I, Tracy, mm-hmm. we talked about that last show. So I think that I think that you could your your target pool, and if you want to broaden it any more, it's it's her pimps, who are the the fictitious Joneses, uh, a John uh, or Johnette, to whom she was tricked out or pimped out that night, uh, is uh, is suspects, her husband. Or maybe even a for, you know maybe a former trick that she had turned, whose wife or husband had just discovered it, you know. 
but I really think that more like more than likely it was her plan to raise money and leave David with the kids. And I really think your three strongest suspects here are going to be David or the Joneses. Right. Or somebody that the Joneses are involved with. Perhaps. But I, I, I prefer David and the Joneses as targets over just somebody that she was involved with. I could see the Joneses having motive to kill, motive being money, motive being loss of stature, motive being loss of prestige, no uh, motive being potential incarceration. Well, the same as a John, though. I'm thinking if they're in a more of a, a swanky, um, high-end circle of friends, that maybe the um, John could very well be... Um, in the public eye. Yeah, what if it's the wrong John, for instance? I'll tell you, you know, Tracy, I don't know if you know this. Heather knows this. I represented quite a bit of girls that worked in the oldest profession, that being prostitution. Back in my Yes, early, I did know that. I was, mm-hmm. I was. And your partner. Yeah, my partner and I both did, yes. We were, we were called whorehouse lawyers, which was not a particularly uh, flattering way to refer to us, but we were whorehouse lawyers. And there were others. Uh, in uh, uh, and now by a partner, you're talking about John Herbison. I'm talking about when I was representing girls that practiced the world's oldest profession. I was in Nashville with a guy named uh, Greg Clayton. Uh, so that was previous to John Herbison. But Herbison was like the king of the whorehouse lawyers. I mean, he, he herbicide. Yeah, herbicide. herbicide. Herbicide was the king of the whorehouse lawyers. Well, anyway, uh, uh, I remember one time that a girl was, of course, it was a misdemeanor offense back in the old days when I was representing these girls. They would tell them, we're going to take your kids. We're going to take your house. We're going to, you know, well, they couldn't take any of that stuff because it was a B misdemeanor. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, the legislature at the time, ever since they came into trafficking and kidnapping and all this kind of stuff, this has become a much more serious crime than it was back in the old days. They had never even, they hadn't thought of some of these things as, as being related to prostitution. They didn't think about it in those days. But anyway, so I remember this girl came in and was telling me that she had a regular weekly uh, uh, appointment with a Nashville, Tennessee judge. A weekly, uh, are y'all still there or did I lose you with that one? Yeah, no, I'm All right, she had a weekly appointment with a judge. And I said, who is it? And she said, I don't know his name. I said, good God, find it out. You know, that, that is useful information. <laughs> you know, you need, to, you need to find out who this guy is. And, you know, I'm not going to say who it was. She did, she did learn the identity of this guy. But now, taking that and relaying it to this, what if, what if Karen was sent into a trick uh, to meet a guy at a hotel room, she opens the hotel room, and she knows this guy. Maybe anybody in that area would have known this guy, right? Maybe this guy's a very powerful man. This guy's the mayor. This guy's a judge. This guy's uh, the police chief, right? Detective, you know. Uh, like you said, Tracy, that could have, that, 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 of course, would broaden your suspect pool some. But that's, that's, that happens in that arena, in that style, in that lifestyle. Sometimes the person that is obtaining, you know, like Reverend Hugh, right? The, the football coach at Ole Miss, that they, they called Reverend Hugh because he was always preaching to recruits and stuff. And they came to find out, they searched his university phone. He was calling escort services, right? Yeah. Maybe they opened the door and it was Hugh Freeze. Oh, <laughs> <You know? God. laughs> Who knows? Oh, wow. I'm... I'm sorry. My brain is fried. I just, I'm haven't been getting much sleep with everything going on. And well, Heather, I want to commend you because you've pulled out of somebody important information that has brought this case closer to it's being solved than it has ever been in the past seven years. Fletcher, that's Heather. She, I, I'm telling you, she is great at her investigative job. She is, she, that's her. That's how, she's, all into it and she can pull things out that and go places you don't even think of going. She's just great. Well, she's done a great job here and I've always known her to be a, a consummate professional and very good at her craft, but 
I mean, she's done a good job here. She's gotten information out of a person who has knowledge of the events that is important information that if it were acted on and used by law enforcement agencies, I believe brings them closer to solving the mystery as to what happened to Karen Swift. Yes, I agree. And that, at the end of the day, that is what we are all after. And um, some of these people who have told me things that um, they claim to have never told anyone else, um, they're, you know, like I said, they're saying that they're afraid. And then another reason that they didn't want to talk was because they didn't want to betray their friend and uh, they didn't want to taint her reputation. And I know that by us coming out with this, that there's probably going to be some backlash. You know, they're going to, there are going to be people who do not want to hear this. And I'm sorry, but in order for the truth to come out, in order for the, you know, Karen to get justice and the people who murdered Karen, the person or people who murdered Karen, in order for them to be found out and for Karen to have justice, the truth has to come out, the good, bad, and the ugly. And that includes what she was involved in. Well, so, let me say this, Heather. I mean, this is someone that, you know, when I was a lawyer, I tried over two criminal jury trials. And I just want to tell you this, okay? There's an old saying that you, you, to understand a person, you have to walk a mile in their moccasins. I, I'm sure, Tracy, you've heard it. Heather, you've heard it. Well, in order to understand how Karen got um, herself in a situation where she was around someone who would have murderous intent, right. right, who would bash her skull in, who would leave her for dead in a cemetery covered up by debris that blew off of her and she was later discovered. In order to understand how she came to be there, we have to understand what she was doing and with whom she was doing it. And that includes if that activity is something that is uh, uh, detrimental to her memory, detrimental to her reputation, uh, in order to get at what happened to her, you know, in, uh, it, 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 you may remember in the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, um, uh, at, at the uh, end of it, uh, the guy that was kind of mentally off, who was following Scout home, and the person tried to attack Scout, he ends up killing her, right? And uh, kill not Scout. He doesn't kill Scout. He kills the person that was trying to kill Scout. And I think his name was Boo Radley. Is that right? But uh, anyway, it's been years since I've read Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. But the point was, is when the sheriff got there, he said, well, look, Atticus, my report's going to be basically that this guy was drunk and fell on his knife. Right. Right. I mean, that's what, and Atticus is, oh, you can't do that. That's a bastardization of the truth. That's not what happened. And he said, look, you know, I'm not sending poor Boo Radley to prison. (laughs) We've got enough victims here. Right. They had just sent an innocent black man to prison because he was a black man in Mississippi being put on trial for raping a white woman that he didn't touch. Right. We'd already done that. We've already done that. You know, I'm not going to add Boo Radley to the uh, ever increasing list of victims. Right. Well, in, in, in the converse way, this is the anti-Boo Radley ap- episode where we can't, we don't have the convenience here of trying to make up a story that makes Karen look angelic mm-hmm. and that preserves her integrity and her reputation if we're going to get to the bottom of what happened to her. If we're going to get to the bottom of what happened to her, then we're just going to have to tell it. You know, you, that old, that old uh, uh, story uh, uh, the joke about the, the tent revival, tell it, tell it, James Lewis, tell it, tell it, James Lewis. Well, we got to tell it, James Lewis, if we're going to get to the end here and figure out what it is that, that caused, if she's going to be, um, if she's going to, if she's going to get justice, if the person that did this to her is going to be brought to justice, we're going to have to, we're going to have to show a picture of Karen Swift, who was very attractive, but we've got to see the worst. Too. Right. And her children, unfortunately, are going to have to deal with it. But And it's hard. But they've already dealt with a mother that has passed away. Um, mm-hmm. right. And it's just, I mean, it happens every day. Children see their parents get arrested or or something like that. And they have to go through it. It's It's sad. And it happens. And all of it. There's victims all over the place when something like this happens. 
Well, and sadly, her motive behind doing what she was doing was for her kids because she yeah. didn't want to leave without them. If, if, if I can say something to the Swift children, I'd say this. As someone, you know, my kids have seen me get arrested. Uh, so as someone that's lived quite a bit of life at 50 and, you know, I, I just want to say to the Swift children that, you know, we do what we do for the people we love. Sometimes we do things for the people we love that we probably wish we hadn't have done. And that's kind of where Karen was here. She was doing something she thought that was going to help her situation and the situation of the children and help them have a new life. And she was going to do something unpleasant uh, to her, something that she found somewhat uh, uh, reviling, but she was doing it from a place of at least a, a noble motive. And, and as you children, as you swift children get older, you will learn that uh, there's a reason why the Bible said, just judge not lest you be judged. Because going back circular to what I said before a few minutes ago, you really can't judge a person until you've walked in their moccasins, until you've been these people and been this person and understand what it was that may have motivated them to undertake whatever action that you find so detestable, right? Yeah, her back, she felt her back was against the wall and she was trying to take care of her children. So I just want them to know that um, she loved you. It came from a good right. place. It came from a good she place. She loved you yeah. and felt like this is, was the way to go. And um, other than. And regretted it. Oh, yes. Yes. Regretted it and wished there was another way. And I think it started out pretty innocent. I believe it started out with her cleaning these people's house. And. Yeah. You know, I think that just the opportunity was presented to her and it was a great deal of money. And she saw it as, you know, this is my opportunity to, to save up enough. Um, you know, her husband had reportedly cut her off financially. And um, uh, I do I do know that there were some credit cards and, and things that were being used, but um but, you know, for the most part, she did not have money. Yeah. And, and look, you know, I'm no better. I've, I used to screw people for money. I practiced law for two uh, years. Oh, God. <laughs> and I, I don't want these kids either to think it's their dad's fault either for no. um, not giving her money because that's what happens in divorces. That's well, just and not just happens. that, not just that, but, you know, she was running around with a bad crowd she was drinking and and possibly doing some other things, you know. And when you see somebody that you love, which I I believe that he probably loved her a lot. And when you see somebody that you love going down that path, you know, you're not going to throw money at them and just enable them to, you know, go out and live this lifestyle more. That would be quite exactly. destructive to them. Yeah, you need to re you need to pull that money back so that they. He may he may have felt like denying her money was helping exactly. her. Run, exactly, exactly, so. and exactly, yeah. and might even have kept her close to home where he he loved her, you know. Right. And he felt like that that environment was more antiseptic and safe for her than being out away from him. Exactly. So exactly. But so I guess uh, I guess that wraps everything up. I just. You know, most of the time when we do these podcasts, you know, I'm, I'm in good spirits and, and I'm able to laugh and we're able to, you know, just keep it pretty light. But this time, you know, it's just, there's so much information and even what we've shared here in the podcast is just a tip of the iceberg and there's so much more underneath. And, uh, you know, when we, when we got started with this, I had no idea that we were opening a can of worms, just the amount of information that has been, you know, just, uh, I'd say dumped on us, but not exactly dumped because of course, you know, we've solicited that information and we want that information because we want to have a hand in, you know, Karen having justice and, um, the truth coming out, but it's, it's just so heavy and it's so, you know, what we're finding out is it, I had no idea and never in a million years expected that this would be, you know, the, the result of our investigation. And, um, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to hear. It's, it's, 
it's as difficult for me, and uh, and I don't want to speak for for you, uh, Fletcher and Tracy, but I, I believe it's probably just as difficult for all of us to process as it is, you know, anyone else, especially like friends and family who maybe did not know uh, the kind of things that she had gotten involved with. And uh, I know it's hard and, and I'm having a hard time even relaying it because uh, I know how detrimental it might be to some people, but the truth has to come out. And, um, well, Heather, I thought, I thought I'd help you, uh, today. I thought that I'd go on and be the heavy and be the one that brought out some yeah. of these things where you didn't. <laughs> well, thank you <laughs> for you that Fletcher. <laughs> thank you. So you're welcome, Heather. I'm always here for you. And, uh, yep. so I just wanted you to know that if there's anything that you are, are, are reticent to any topic you're reticent to broach that you can always count on Fletcher and Tracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fletcher will just put it out there and then Tracy will do a little damage control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The old grandma. Well, I just want everybody to know that tomorrow we're recording um, Crystal Rogers and, oh, man, that's mm-hmm. going to be heavy too because we've been involved with the family and it's just, uh, it's really hard. So it's, it's going to be a, a very emotional week for yeah. us. Yeah. That's going to be a hard case to talk about too. And we're not just talking about Crystal Rogers, although Crystal, what we have to talk about with Crystal will probably be significantly more than the rest of them. But, but we'll also be discussing on some level, um, Jason Ellis and the Netherlands and also Crystal's father, Tommy Ballard. So uh, yeah, that'll be, we'll be publishing that tomorrow. And we're also doing a live stream tomorrow, a little Q&A. So everybody tune in. There'll be more information for you tomorrow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I'm Fletcher Long. She's Heather Cohen and Tracy Ellis for the final report. Till we meet again, keep it between the ditches. <laughs>